Hi, welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we're talking about writing satisfying endings. Um, endings are super duper hard. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I hope that you haven't, but my guess is that you probably have, where you have been reading a book or watching a movie or watching a TV show and you get to the end and it just doesn't stick the landing. It just doesn't feel like it lives up to everything that came before it. And so we want to talk a little bit today about how to avoid it. Yeah. So recently, I can't even remember where I heard this. I think I read it on the internet. But the most recent health advice for me to write a satisfying ending was the ending must validate the story. And this... This changed my brain chemistry, guys. Like, (laughs) it was like, oh, it just, like, clicked. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I know how to write endings now. Yeah. I I don't know that it will be the same for everyone. I'm not promising that same epiphany for all of you. But we're going to analyze, like, a couple endings and talk about how they validate the story and how that makes them a good ending. Yeah. And we'll talk about some of the techniques that you can use in order to make sure that your ending validates the story. And... You know, just to kind of help introduce one of these techniques, um, it in order for the ending to be satisfying, the ending has to answer the it has to answer the conflict that you introduce at the beginning of the story. Um, so, in like in Pixar's Story Spine and in their story theory class that they have online, super great resource, highly recommend it. Um, they talk about the want and the need and the ending needs to address the want and the need. Um, I can't say that I learned this early, but what I can say is that I encountered this early. Um, When I was a second grader, I remember that we had, we had writing time every single day. And now I'm sad that I do not have writing time every single day, just part of my regularly structured day. Um, It's just, it's sad, but um, I remember that for my first story, I had I was writing this story about a city of mice that lived underground and how, you know, the problem about the story or the problem of the story was that there was this, you know, poisonous gas that was threatening to, you know, destroy the city. And so that was that was the problem. Everything led up to it. Uh, or everything followed from that. Um, I wanted the mice to use magic. So we had, you know, spell slinging mice. It was wonderful. I had this big climactic battle at the end. And as part of the writing process, I had to go and take my, my draft to my teacher so that she could read it. And I remember that she read it and she was like, well, what is the what does the ending have to do with the poisonous gas? And I was like, what, excuse me? And she said, but it doesn't have anything to do with it. And so she started like crossing out all of these pages. And I swear guys, it was like half of the, <laughs> half of the story got crossed out and I needed to go back and fix it. Now, of course, I really could have made it simple on myself and said, oh, well, the person who made the poison is the person that they thought at the very, very end. Um, but I was in second grade, so I was not, thinking about that but it was a it was an encounter for me with the with the principles of making sure that your ending addresses the conflict introduced at the beginning because if it doesn't it's not going to be satisfying yeah absolutely that's such a good example 
Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I should have said this earlier before Zach shared his story to keep a better flow of the episode, but I didn't and it's okay. And I'm just going to keep moving forward. But like the idea that the ending must validate the story and address these questions that you set up at the beginning, it helped me write the ending for both Dawnless and the new ending for Witch's Blood. And those are the only two endings I've done since like hearing this advice that you must validate this story. But the endings are so much better than before, but so as to not spoil my stories that I intend to publish. Let's look at two examples of other published works out in the universe. Yeah. So one of the stories that we're going to be looking at is Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli. Um, I personally have not read this book. I'm passingly familiar with it from um, middle school. And this is kind of a middle grade based off of what I understand, kind of like a magical realism sort of thing. Rin, is that how you would describe it? tweak it a little bit because there's no magic in it ah okay yeah it's it's just like a middle school story like if if it's not the magic it's about like the magic of friendship and being kind like (laughs) literally um the question this book asks is like who would you be if the world had no influence on who you are and like what would the impact the real you can what is the impact that you can have on others if you like engage with the world from a place of like honesty and vulnerability yeah and guys i genuinely love this book so much zach hasn't read it but it is my favorite book of all time i read it at least once a year usually more than that um but it's told from the perspective of leo borlock who's like he's just like a kid he's just a guy yeah um and then this weird homeschool girl comes to public school and she's like just so odd but she's also really nice like she sings birthday songs to people in the cafeteria and i was like how does she know our birthday and our birthdays and like leaves candies on her homeroom's classmates desks for like valentine's and halloween's and whatnot oh that is so wholesome it's so wholesome it's so cute i aspire to be star girl you don't get it (laughs) And eventually, like, Leo Borlock has a huge crush on her, and they end up dating. But as I said in the notes, he harshes her vibe. (laughs) 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 Um, And she, like, tries to change for him, but becomes, like, super depressed. And the way, if I can just speak for a moment on how the way he shows depression in the middle grade book, is she has this, like, little wooden wagon that she fills with, like, smooth pebbles. And she calls it her happy wagon, and she, like... Who takes pebbles in and out depending on how happy she is. And at Max is 20 pebbles in the wagon, and we see her both at like 17 or 18 pebbles, which is the most she's ever had. Uh-huh. But then she goes down to two, which is the worst she's ever been. Oh. And it's really sad because the way they revealed the two is like Leo sneaks into her room and to like check on her when she like is changing for him. Uh huh. And like she's like trying to be like more normal. Yeah. And then she like had told him previously that the worst she'd ever been before was three, and then there's only two. Oh, oh, that's um killer objective correlative. Literally, such good objective correlative. Uh, you should check out that episode of ours if you don't know what we're talking about. But let's keep talking through Star Girl. So yeah. After she becomes depressed, she reverts to her oddball self. And at the end of the book, she shows it to the prom. It's not the prom. It's like the Ocotillo ball or something. And I don't know how to say that. Ocotillo, maybe? Who knows? 
And then she's just like on, she like dances and she's weird about dancing and like she leaves a bunny hop around the and around the dance floor, like. But then after that night, she like leaves town and is like literally never seen again. She doesn't uh-huh. die, she just moves away. Yeah. Like, and then everyone's like, was this a fever dream? Was this real? Um, but in the final chapters, we see her office, which she foreshadows and we learn how she knows everyone's birthdays and her notes on everyone she knew. And it's like, it's like, if you don't say it right, it sounds like stalkerish and creepy, but it was actually really endearing. Like, she just, like, has, like, newspaper clippings because it's, like, a small town that they live in. And they'll put, like, news birthday announcements in the newspaper and she'll, like, save those in, like, a little folder. And she's a little folder on everyone. And they call it, like, a lovely subterfuge or something. But there are also sad things, like, her enchanted place, which is just what she called, like, a nice, like, natural spot. It's not yeah. an elementary school. And, like, in the last chapter, Leo grows up and his entire life is, like, changed by Stargirl. And I have this quote. As for me, I throw myself into my work and I keep an eye peeled for silver lunch trucks. And I remember, I sometimes walk in the rain without an umbrella. When I see change on the sidewalk, I leave it there. If no one's looking, I drop a quarter. I feel guilty when I buy a card from Hallmark. I listen for Mockingbirds. And all those things, is, is each of them is a callback to something Stargirl talked about and taught him earlier in the book. Yeah. Um, oh. and, like, this ending speaks to the message of the story and just wraps everything up so nicely because everything is foreshadowed and the callback and the tropes, expectations, and promises are all met. Oh, that's such a good, like, that is such an important point that depending on the genre that you're writing, there are certain expectations that the reader has going into it. And if you don't fix or if you don't hit all of those expectations, then the ending is going to fall flat. And so for Stargirl... Because it's a, you know, it's a middle grade book. There are certain promises that go along with it. The ending, the ending uh, responded to the promises, fulfilled them, and it was wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like Brandon Sanderson had like the concept of progress or promise, progress, payoff. Yeah. I don't know if he originated it. I think he, that, at least in terms of where I learned, I learned it from him. But like... You make a promise in the first chapter throughout the entire book. You need to make progress on that promise. And then at the end, you need the payoff. And Stargirl yeah. just does that so well. It's a super fast read. It's like, that's like from like the last page. And that's like page 185. So like, mm-hmm. please go read Stargirl. Then email us and tell me what you think about Stargirl. <laughs> please. I would love to hear your thoughts. Write me an essay. I, <laughs> I, if you write me an essay, I will read it on this podcast. <laughs> I love but it. Not- I'm not joking. I will. We will do a special Stargirl episode um, where I read all your essays. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, Please it was cool. <laughs> okay. Do you have anything else to say before we move on to our bad example? I don't. I feel like I need to I feel like I need to read this. It does remind me a bit about another again, it's a middle grade book. We're just thinking about the middle grade books today, guys. Um, Orbiting Jupiter, same thing. It's so wholesome. It's so sad. Um, but same kind of thing. I love a sad middle grade novel, though, I will admit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, as for our bad example, because we are getting up at time. Um, Voltron Legendary Defender, the, like, reboot that started coming out in, like, 2014 on Netflix. Not the one from the 80s. I've never watched the one from the 80s. But the reboot. Oh... My God, the ending was so bad, and everyone in the fandom 
hated it. And I will disclaimer, I only watched the last like three or it's an eight season show. It was gonna be like less than that, but then they split the last like four seasons in half. Or, like each of the four seasons are like half of what they were anyways. It was weird. They did weird stuff with the pacing. It was really bad. But, like, everyone in the fandom, even though the fandom was super toxic, if you were involved in the fandom in 2014, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, then good. Um, (laughs) But, like, the wrong people got together. The ships were all sunk. Ships as in, like, the fandom term of a ship, which I assume you all know because you're writers and you're nerds. (laughs) Um, The promised characters that everyone was anticipating got, like, no screen time. Like, everyone was like, oh, Shiro's boyfriend, fiance, husband, person is going to be so important. And then he had, like, two minutes of screen time, and everyone was really mad about that, which is valid because Adam deserved better. Yeah. But, like, there was no payoff because the promises that they made in the first episode of the first season were not kept. So, like, please go watch this if you haven't, but only do the last, like, half of the show as a study. And if you're ever rewatching, just stop at, like, episode or season five because that's about <laughs> when it starts getting really bad. <laughs> um, and I just pretend that they canceled it after season four or five. There's no more. It doesn't exist. It's not real and it can't hurt me. <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel that. I feel like there are lots of... I don't know. I feel like it's really unfortunate, but a lot of TV shows don't stick the landing. And I think it has to do with the fact that they're serialized. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Community had a really great ending at the end of season three, but then they tried to eke out more seasons and it just didn't work. So I think it's a similar thing. But yeah, broken promises, bad things. Also, on the note of that community thing, like, Sometimes people just drag their stories out for too long. No one to stop. It's okay. Like, do not, I, please do not pull a JK Rowling and be like, ah, yes, here's them middle-aged with children. Leave that up to the reader's imagination. It's okay. We have them. Yes, yes. And I feel like a lot of large media conglomerates, which shall not remain nameless, Disney, um, (laughs) don't really understand this. That, you know, there is this desire for profit that outweighs the desire for good storytelling. And so you get things like Frozen 3 and... You have you Frozen know, 3 coming out? I, I don't have details. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't realize Frozen 3 was coming out. I don't have details. It could just be a random internet rumor that I read. I don't know. Okay. Um, I personally think Frozen 2 was a money grab, but it was. So fair enough. But yeah. yeah. Anyways. Um the takeaways from this episode are make sure you take into account promise, progress, payoff, and the ending must validate the story. And if you look at it from this point as if you're trying to like make callbacks and like and pay off your foreshadowing like i promise it'll make your endings better this has been quid pros quo thank you so much for listening we will see you next week for book club story genius with lisa cron quid pros quo is hosted by dc winters and ck jensen 
If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.